Good. So, um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Alex Culpepper. I'm the lead pastor here at ABC. And uh, every week, I have the privilege, either myself or another pastor, we have the, uh, or somebody, one of our elders, or somebody has the privilege of of coming up here and opening God's word with you, opening the Bible. Uh, we, so what do we do? Well, uh, I tell you, first thing I tell you to do is I tell you to get your Bibles out, right? Uh, because uh, my kind of thought is that as we go through scripture together, that you'll kind of be going through with me. So at the very least, you can look at the words and make sure the words uh, kind of uh, work together and cooperate with what I'm saying, right? So that's a good thing. Uh, but then also, what do we, well, we put the words up on the screen. Right, so, so that you can read Scripture as we are engaging Scripture. And then what do we do? Well, we talk about kind of the specific words that occur as we look at Scripture and look at everything that's there. Oh, this is stuck to me. I have a tail going on here. There we go. That would have been weird if I just stood up here the whole time and talked to you while that was hanging off of me. Uh, so... Uh, so yeah, we, put, uh, we talk about specific words. So we look at, uh, we are concerned with definitions, right? We ask questions like, what did the author, as the author was writing these things, intend to say? What was the author's intended meaning? We ask questions like that. Uh, we kind of figure out what it looks like for us, as people who hear God's word, to respond to it, right? All of that is true, and I want to ask the question, why? Why would we do that? And I want to give you the answer to that in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, 11 through 15, it says this. It says that he gave, that is God, gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, the saints are the people who are gathered around Jesus, the people who Jesus has invited to himself. And when people come and they uh, teach scripture and they use the words of God to tell other people about what God wants and the things that God desires and what God has done in Jesus, right? When we do all of this, it is all not just so that you can like sit and enjoy yourself, right? But it is so that you can be equipped for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Right? So, so whenever somebody comes up here and shares God word, God's word, whenever we send, even, uh, whenever we send uh, people out to the schools to, to engage in crossroads and to use God's word in crossroads, all of it is about equipping people with tools, and there's a reason that we equip people with these very biblical tools for uh, Verse 14 says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So last week, uh, we talked about this idea that whatever has uh, your attention has the permission to shape you, right? So when we say that, we emphasize the Bible here because we want to pay attention to what it says so that we might be rightly shaped, right? We emphasize the Bible because it tells us how we should be rightly shaped. Everything else that might shape us in reality is corruptible. And that's what this verse in Ephesians uh, chapter 4 gets at when it says uh, human cunning, that human cunning can lead people astray. Human cunning sneaks in. And the, the idea is, is that when we're left to ourselves, you know what? Like, we're really good at finding ways to get our own way. Like, I don't know about you, 
but I am, I'm particularly adept at finding ways to get my way. Yeah, right? So human cunning, finding ways, uh, unique ways to get our way. And then it says things about false doctrine, how doctrine can creep in. And uh, you know what's interesting is that every age, ever since uh, Jesus, you know, uh, essentially ascended into heaven, ever since that point, false doctrine has been creeping into gatherings of believers in Jesus, right? So, um, So we are told stories of this throughout history, that every age has teachings, that actually enter into churches and challenge God's word directly, make challenges to the things that God says, right? So that's why we focus on the Bible. And then it says also craftiness and deceitful schemes. We have to look out for this craftiness. There's this idea that our ears are inclined to itch. The idea of itching ears is that means like our ears, uh, we're always wanting to hear things that we want to hear, right? We're inclined to appreciate the things that we want to hear. And what's interesting with this craftiness and deceitful schemes, there are people who are really inclined to tell us the things that we want to hear. Right? So, so if that's the way that our hearts work, and the right people come along knowing just what we want to hear, and they tell us the things that we, we want to hear, and that could lead us astray. Right? So all of this uh, focus on the teaching of the Bible is intended so that we might not go astray. Right? So can I give you three guarantees about the Bible? I want to give you three guarantees about the Bible. Number one, I can guarantee you that the Bible will disagree with each of us on something. I, can, I promise you, the Bible will disagree with each of us on something. I have been studying the Bible for 15 years, and I am surprised uh, still at my ability to come to a particular passage and go, oh, that's not right. Oh, wait, no. I'm not right, right? That's the that's position I need to take, right? But there's something kind of inside of me that says, uh, no, God must be wrong about that, right? I, I've, had, I've had to like kind of train myself out of that over the years. But here's the reality. We all have a heart culture, right? We all have the ways that our hearts kind of have been shaped and inclined to believe. And here's the thing, like God's word throughout ages has been challenging cultures time and time again, has been challenging people time and time again to not see things their way, but to see things his way. And so every one of us will find something in the Bible with which we disagree. Uh, number two, the second guarantee I can make to you is that we will always have some incentive to challenge what the Bible says. There will always be an incentive. It will always, like, you could gain, uh, you can get social kind of pressure. Uh, you could just kind of relieve that social pressure by challenging what the Bible says. You can, you know, like, life is easier if you realize that there's a God who holds you accountable, but you can make that God say whatever you want him to say, right? Life gets a lot easier if you can make God say what you want, to, want him to say, right? So, so there's an incentive to challenge Scripture in that way. Uh, and then... Uh, Number three, and this is the third guarantee that I can give you about the Bible. If we receive it as authoritative over our lives, we will find life with God as he intended it. We will find life with God as he intended it if we receive it as authoritative over our lives. So Matthew 4, 4, Jesus is being tempted by Satan to challenge God and to challenge the way God, the ways God has led him and to challenge God's word. And when Satan tempts Jesus, Jesus says this to Satan. He says, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth 
of God. Man shall not live by bread alone. What is food? What is bread? Bread is energy. It is survival. It is sustenance. It is wholeness, right? We are able to do actually everything that we do in life. If you have a job, you can't go to that job for long without eating something because your body needs to burn calories in order to engage that thing. You are able to actually engage life because you have food inside of you. So when Jesus makes this comparison related to what it means to be human. What he's saying is God's word is our survival. It is our energy. It is our sustenance. It is our wholeness. Our ability to truly live is a result of having the word. So with all of that being said, I want to pray as we get into the word this morning. Father, I thank you for giving us your word. Lord, as we understand the ways that you have structured it and what you uh, are trying to accomplish with it, why you even gave it to us, Father, I pray that we would not just consider it as an abstract thing, but that we would actually allow your word to meet us and give life to us and change us. And these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our plan, kind of for the next two months, really, is we are going to be considering the Bible. So the, the series that we are in right now is simply called The Bible, but then after we finish, this is a four-week series. Uh, after we finish this, we're going to go into a series called How Do I Read the Bible? Actually equipping us with tools to understand Scripture and what it's trying to tell us. And then the third week, uh, or the sorry, the next series after that, we are going to uh, kind of deal with common objections to the Bible. So some examples, like why does the Bible condone slavery? And doesn't that make it objectionable? Uh, Isn't the Bible oppressive to women, right? We're going to deal with some of those questions and look what Scripture actually says. So the next four weeks, though, we are in this series called the Bible, and we're essentially asking four questions. So the first question that we're asking is this, what is the Bible? That's today. Next week, we'll ask the question of where did the Old Testament come from? The the week after that, uh, we'll ask the question, where did the New Testament come from? And then finally, we'll ask the question, uh, what story is the Bible telling? So that's the next four weeks. Today, we're answering the question, what is the Bible? My goal today is to give you three really clear and simple statements that encapsulate for us what the Bible is. Three really clear and simple statements. The first statement is this. The Bible is God's word. Now, that may seem like a no-brainer to you, right? But the, the idea that this is like the simplest and most clear thing that we can say about the Bible, and therefore we must understand that the Bible itself is, it is God's word. Um, so what do we mean when we say God's word? Uh, when we say God's word, it's another way of saying a message, right? Uh, word, uh, whenever that word is used uh, and referring to uh, anybody who has a word to give, it's, it's referring to a message. So it's primarily God's message about himself. You may have heard the word used uh, about God in his word. You may have heard the word revelation used, right? That the Bible is God's self-revelation or his way of revealing himself to us. And, and so that word, it's not just a book in the Bible. We do have a book of revelation, right? It speaks of the fact that God revealed something to somebody. 
But this general concept speaks of God's act of revealing. So take the nation of Israel and their uh, word in relation to what they had received from God. Deuteronomy 29, 29. This is what it says. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. There's this idea that there are things that we cannot know that God has. He has contained them. He has, uh, and they are not available to us in our knowledge. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So, so God had just finished speaking his law and his heart to his people, and this is how his people are now responding to him, and they recognize something, right? God has shared knowledge with us that we would not otherwise know. There are things that we now understand that if he did not share them with us, they would remain secret. But now that he's given them to us, we are responsible for them. We have to do something with what he's shown us. Right? His message about himself is the reality. He has revealed something to us, but it doesn't tell us everything there could possibly be to know about him. But it does tell us enough to answer, kind of help us answer four questions. Right, so when we say the Bible is God's word, it's helping us answer, God is helping us answer four questions. Number one, who is he? Right, when God is telling us about himself in the Bible, he's answering this question for us. Who is he? What is his character? What are his actions? What does he desire? What things does he value and celebrate? Right? Who is he? Uh, the second question that it helps us answer is what is he up to? What is he doing? What is God's plan, his design? What are his intentions? What, uh, the, the kind of good and right things that he envisions for the world, what are those things? Then it helps us answer a third question. Who are we? Right? The Bible shows us something about ourselves. It shows us our origins as people who bear the image of God. Right? It shows us the, the course that we have chosen time and time again to deviate from what God desires. It shows us the reality of our own brokenness, and it shows us a way of redemption for us. Right? So it shows us who we are. And then finally, it helps us answer the question, why does all of it matter? It gives us, it always, the Bible is consistent in giving us so what, right? It gives us kind of the idea of that, that there's a response to this this. Uh, these questions, these answers that God has given to these questions, right? So for what it's worth, this pattern that we see up here, this fits the book of Deuteronomy, right? And what we just saw as God's people responded to him. Like, it answers the question, who is he? Well, God introduces himself in the book of Deuteronomy as the God who spoke to Abraham and the God who created everything and the God who put to shame the gods of Egypt and saved his people and opened up the Red Sea. What is he up to? Well, this God, he is orchestrating a plan to bless all the nations through his chosen people, Israel, who have been wandering through the desert. Who are we? Well, as the people Israel receive these words from God, we are his chosen people. Through him, he plans to bring, or through us, he plans, plans, sorry, plans to bring blessing to the world. We are a people who were helpless, and he saved us. We are a people who rebelled against him, and he forgave us. We are a people that he continues to love and care for, right? That answers that question. Then why does it matter? Well, he has expectations for us as his chosen people, right? So, so that, the, all of those questions kind of help us to understand what it is that God is revealing 
to us. And this pattern fits all the way through every book of the Bible. You could kind of ask those questions and kind of like try to understand exactly what it is that God is saying, which means for us something really significant. It is pure grace that God would give us his word. It is pure grace that God would give us his word. Because here's the reality. We cannot answer those four questions coherently on our own. Like, we do not have the ability to do that. Now, it's certainly true that there are things, if we did not have God's word, there are things in this universe, in this world, like there are things that are observable. I don't know if you all saw the James Webb telescope and the amazing kind of views of the universe and uh, galaxies and solar systems that it is giving us, right? But you get an incredible sense of your smallness as you look at the vast array of stars and suns and systems and nebulas and all of this stuff, you get an idea of our smallness. And this shows us that God, as creator, is extremely powerful, right? He is supremely creative. Not only that, but like he's a master engineer, right? Like he gets math and science to a degree that we can't even begin to understand, right? He is very intelligent. You can figure that stuff out by just observing creation, Right, But there are things that we cannot understand about God if he does not tell us. Right, His values, his desires, his character, his personality, his name. Those are all things that he actually has to come to us and tell us about himself. Because as a race of human beings, we all too often are more concerned with our values and our desires and our own personality and all of this stuff, and we prefer our own way to his, which means that as we all, like if you set all of us in this room loose to try to answer those questions on our own, we would probably come up with 60 different versions of answers to those questions. Right? But 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. The idea is that with these words, teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that we actually are the kind of people that need to receive from God the things he has to say about himself. Right? He could have left us to our own devices, But instead, what he has done is he has spoken to us things that we could not otherwise know so that we could know him and have relationship with him. So the Bible is God's word. All right, second big clear statement about what the Bible is. The Bible is a miracle. The Bible is a miracle. So picking up on that last verse that we read, it says... uh, In verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. When God gives his breath to something, that thing is alive, right? And anywhere in scripture, it talks about God giving his breath to something, that thing is alive. He breathed on Adam and Eve in the garden, and we witnessed the miracle of life come about. He breathed out his word here in this passage, and this is the miracle of making himself known and putting his will out there for us to understand. So the Bible is a miracle, and it's a miracle really kind of in two ways. The first way that it's a miracle 
is that the Bible is miraculous in its very existence. Like the fact that it even exists is a miracle. Can I give you a few fun facts about the Bible? And the way that I'm going to do this is there's this uh, quote, and I can't even, I've like tried to find the person to attribute it to, and I can't because it has just floated around from person to person to person for so long. So I'm just going to share this quote with you, and then you will see some of these fun facts about the Bible as we go. The Bible is a miracle. The Bible is comprised of 66 books, written by more than 40 authors. These authors were kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, scholars, historians, prophets, tax collectors, tent makers, military leaders, prime ministers, and doctors. They wrote from dungeons, palaces, roads, islands, hillsides, and deserts across three continents. These authors wrote these books in their multiple original language, which included Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Their literary styles included poetry, history, letters, prophecy, proverbs, and biographies. The time frame of its writing occurred over 1,500 plus years with no material inconsistencies or contradictions. The Bible remains one unified masterpiece from beginning to end. This impossible consistency screams of a divine architect who purposefully and seamlessly moved men to record his words throughout continents, cultures, and histories. But God did not just inspire each author's content. He also orchestrated each book's place in what we call the Bible. There is no other text in all of history that has that kind of a track record. Right? Just consider with me the United States Constitution, right? Uh, the Constitution was written something, uh, we're, we're, we're like 250 years ago, right? Yeah. Uh, so about 250 years ago, Constitution is written. Uh, we are today, the number of different people who have a different perspective on what the Constitution says, like it is overwhelming, the number of people who disagree about what the Constitution says, and everybody's kind of vying for their own place and saying, no, this is actually what it says. The, the level of kind of disunity in relation to something that is only 250 years separated, us, separated from us, but with the Bible, you have something that occurs over the course of 1,500 years, written by 40 different authors from many different cultures, and they all tell a unified story. Right? So... Uh, so I want to give you kind of three terms that explain this miracle of the existence of God's Bible. Um, uh, first of all, I want to give you this term inspiration. Inspiration means that, that the Bible, God's word, was written by men and directed by God. So at times, uh, the words that people were to write down were directly dictated to them, meaning God spoke to them and they wrote down exactly what they heard. And at other times, you have authors in their own words kind of describing events that happened or describing the things that they've seen. But God is still kind of superintending that process. He is overseeing that process so that all the words that end up on the page are the words that God wanted to end up on the page. They're the words that he intended to be there. Uh, I'll give you another term to explain the miracle of the existence of the Bible, inerrancy. Inerrancy means that the Bible is accurate 
and without error in the original manuscripts. So now when we say this word original manuscripts, that kind of gets people a little nervous uh, because we might be inclined to say, does that mean that we can't trust that it's been rightly transferred to us throughout history? Now, we're going to dig into that concept more in the coming weeks, but research has shown us time and time again that our modern translations more accurately reflect original writings than any other ancient text that has ever been written. Right? The point is that everything about which the writers of the Bible intended to speak, they spoke rightly. Right? They did not misrepresent history. They did not misrepresent God. Uh, they did not rep- misrepresent individuals in the story. Everything they wrote, they wrote accurately. And the implication of this is that when we think the Bible is contradicting itself, that the first step is not for us to call the Bible into question, but to call our own understanding into question. So the uh, final term that I want to give you in relation to the miracle of God's word, uh, reliability. That the Bible is tested time and again and shown to be true. Right? So archaeological evidence time and again shows history as presented by the Bible to be accurate. In fact, about every five years or so, somebody will come along and say that event that the Bible says happened didn't actually happen. Right, they'll come up with some explanation for why it could not have possibly happened. And then interestingly enough, uh, some archaeological evidence will pop up to show, actually, no, here is, here is firm evidence that the thing that the Bible said happened actually happened. Right? So we are getting more and more archaeological evidence, but then there's like kind of another facet of reliability, and this is perhaps the most significant facet of the reliability of the Bible. Jesus believed and trusted the Old Testament, and Spirit-empowered Jesus' followers wrote down the New Testament. Y'all, I don't know if you heard, but Jesus rose from the dead. So I think I'm going to take his word on the words that I should trust and not trust, right? So uh, the second way that it's a miracle the first way, so, so it's a miracle in its existence. The second way that it's a miracle is that it is miraculous in its effect. Romans 1.16 says this. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In the New Testament, the word gospel and the word of God, so the, the word gospel and the term word of God, they are used interchangeably. And it is through kind of the going forth of the gospel, of the word of God, that people hear the good news about Jesus, that we are broken by sin and deserve death, that he was perfect, whole, and sinless, that he died a sinner's death in our place, suffering under the wrath of God against sin and that he rose from the grave so that every person who believes in him could be forgiven and receive eternal life and welcome into relationship with God. The word of God is powerful to save souls from damnation. The word of God is powerful to bring hope to people in the midst of despair. The word of God is powerful to bring purpose to lives that lack meaning. The word of God is powerful to break down strongholds and reunite people with their creator. So the Bible is a miracle. And finally, our third big clear statement about what the Bible is. The Bible is authoritative. 
So Psalm 19 kind of hints at this, and we'll look at it in just a second. But I want to talk about some categories, uh, things about which it does speak with authority, right? It speaks about authority on all that which it speaks, right? But but, um, the Bible is authoritative on some really important, clear things. First of all, the Bible is authoritative on reality, right? What do I mean by this? Well, I mean that even though we cannot see it, there is a spiritual realm, right? There are angels and there are demons. What else is true about reality? God tells us that there is only one God, that there is no other, that he is the only one, that there is no pantheon of gods that interfere with all of human affairs, Right, which means that Allah, the God of the Quran, is not a real God. Right, the Mormon version of Jesus is a fictional version of Jesus. Right, Buddhism does not accurately describe to us the meaning of life. Because if the Bible is God's word, then it speaks with final authority on what is real and true and ultimate. So the Bible is authoritative on reality. The Bible is authoritative on morality. Right, so the idea is about what is good, what is right. Like oftentimes we think that we can have the best answer to that question, but God actually gets the final say to determine what right and good look like. Right, live your truth is not in God's vocabulary. He has a very clear set of like what is true and what is good and what is right. So Psalm 19, 7 says this. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Can you go on to the next slide because I think I have all of this up there. Yes, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. To the next one. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous, right, good, all together. Right, so the Bible is authoritative on morality, what is right and what is good. And then finally, the Bible is authoritative on me. Right? Genesis one twenty seven. Like, what does it say about me? What what things does the Bible say about me with authority? First of all, I am designed in God's image. Genesis one twenty seven. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This describes the kind of dignity that I am born with, that human beings are born with. This describes the value that God places on human life. Right? It disguise, describes the conferring of identity and meaning and significance and purpose. What else does the Bible say about me? It says that I start my life broken by sin, separated from God, dead spiritually and dying physically. Right? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10-12 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does, not, does good, not even one. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Now, if uh, you are kind of shaped and formed by our culture, like that is going to, have, your, your heart culture is going to have a hard time receiving those words, right? Because we are all too, like we have goodness and we can achieve goodness and there are things that are good about us, but at the end of the day, our goodness can never meet the standard that God sets, right? So it's authoritative in that regard. What else does it say about me? It tells me that I have one of two destinies, 
that I can either have a destiny of eternal life or eternal judgment, heaven or hell. John 5, 28 and 29 hints at this. Jesus talks about this. Do not marvel, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is saying, like, I'm going to be held accountable by God for whatever decision I make with him, right? You want to talk about a truth that my heart culture wants to reject. Like, I have a really hard time coming to Scripture. Like, naturally, me, like, before I am shaped and formed by God and by the Holy Spirit, when I, like, read about the idea of hell and judgment, that is a hard thing to sit with, and I don't like it. But the Bible is authoritative on what is true about me. It is authoritative in that I can be reconciled to God but only by faith in Jesus while I am alive. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. We looked at that already. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Life and heaven and reunion with God, they do not come by my good works or my good deeds or the things that I've done that I'm proud of or my accomplishments in my life. They come as a free gift only through faith in Jesus alone. So church, the Bible is authoritative even against the things that we're like, but that can't be right, right? No, even on those things, the Bible speaks with authority. Okay, so what? So what? I have uh, three for us this morning. Number one, if the Bible is true, demons are intent on casting doubt on it. There is no book that is more slandered or misrepresented, or demonized throughout history. There, for what it's worth, there is no book that is more taken out of context than the Bible, right? To, to say things that people want to say, right? There is no book that is more used to exploit people and take advantage of people than the Bible. There is no book that is more used to justify oppression than the Bible. There, and honestly, like, there is no book that grinds against our idolatrous hearts like the Bible does. So that, like, even though my flesh finds things in Scripture that at times I disagree with, I've learned to trust the Bible more than my own understanding. Because time and again, his word has proven more reliable than my flesh. So number two. Uh, so what, number two? You must trust in Jesus to fully understand the Bible. Right, so, so nothing of what I just said can make you love and trust the Bible. Like all, all of the things that we talked about this morning, all of the kind of facts that I listed off, all of the defenses I made, like nothing that came out of my mouth can actually make you love and trust the Bible. But there is a secret understanding, secret to understanding the Bible. And that secret to understanding the Bible comes from Jesus. Luke 24, verses 44 and 45. As he was opening the scriptures with a couple of disciples sitting at a table with them, uh, he shared with them and he said, these are my words which I spoke to you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The idea is that Jesus, before these people did not recognize that Jesus was sitting with them, uh, and uh, this was after he had risen from the dead. 
And so they were all sitting at a table together and Jesus is talking to them, taking them through scripture and through the journey of scripture. And then as he's uh, explaining to them, there comes a moment when they finally understand that every story that Jesus tells or every story that the Bible tells is pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. Like it helps, uh, it helps them to finally understand the scriptures and what they were pointing to. The apostle Paul happens to agree with Jesus on this. In 2 Corinthians 3, verses 14 through 16, it says, but there, there is uh, Israelites or Jewish people who have not believed in Jesus. It says, their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that veil remains unlifted, meaning their ability to see what scripture is saying is, is still blocked because only through Christ is the veil taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Right, so, so the idea here being that it is through faith in Jesus that we actually begin to understand what Scripture is about. And additionally... When we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence inside of us. And the Holy Spirit enables us to read and understand and gain insight from Scripture. The Holy Spirit enlightens us. And so we are invited then to ask for his help as we engage with Scripture. Right? He joins us in the process of helping us understand. Finally, I want to tell you my third so what is this. Simply read the Bible. If you did not get anything else out of this morning, like, get this. Read the Bible. Right? If you don't have a regular pattern of Bible reading, I would invite you to start one. And I'm actually like giving us tools to engage this. Right? So, uh, you can, if you have a smartphone, you can feel free to take it out at this time. If you go to abcbartlett.org slash Bible, there are a number of tools there to help you engage with Scripture. abcbartlett.org slash Bible. So first of all, I don't know if you've heard of the Bible app before. It's made by a company called YouVersion. Uh, YouVersion created the Bible app, and what it has is it has kind of a, a massive library of Bible reading plans that you can engage with and track your progress on day by day as you go through it. It's a very useful app. So, uh, so uh, I would encourage you to, to use the Bible app as one of the tools to help you engage Scripture. It will give you reminders to say, hey, it's time to read, right? It will uh, kind of guide you through, help you uh, remember where you are in the process, right? So, so that's the Bible app. Now, what's really cool with the Bible app, and you can see this on this, uh, this webpage up here, abcbartlett.org slash Bible. On the Bible app, you have the ability to set a church as your home church. So you can set our church as your home church on the Bible app. Uh, if you go to that link up there, abcbartlett.org slash Bible, you can set our church as your home church, and then uh, you can kind of participate with other people in the church who are using this app. Uh, on top of that, at this site, so if you're not about the app thing, right, I get it, I understand if you're like technologically averse, uh, there are other options available to you. So first of all, on our website, there's a link not only to find the plan on you version, but there's a, a link to find the plan just in a PDF version on your phone so that you can download it to your phone and look at it that way. And then if, if that's still too much technology for you, out in the foyer, on the counter, out in the foyer, 
is a set of like seven different Bible reading plans. And you could just pick a Bible reading plan and go for it, right? Uh, And check off the days as you go to work through that. Right, and I say all that like, so for what it's worth, in you version, there's a, there's a featured plan. So there's a plan that we can all work through. I'm going to be working through the featured plan. If anybody wants to work through it with me, I'd invite you to do that. Um, and the featured plan is a harmony of the Gospels. That's what we're doing right now. So we're just going to walk through uh, the Gospels kind of in chronological order. That is the plan. That plan is out in the foyer. That plan is also listed on our website. But you don't have to do what I'm doing. You don't have to do what we're doing. If you already have a Bible reading plan, stick with it. Like, don't break off of what you're doing just to jump in with this thing. This is, if you're like, goodness, I need to read the Bible, and I need to develop a habit and a regular pattern. This is about giving you tools to develop a habit and a regular pattern of doing that. Right, so there are many options out in the foyer for Bible reading plans. There are many, many options, just like thousands, hundreds of thousands, I don't know, uh, uh, options on you version to begin reading scripture. But the, the point is, like, if you don't have a tool, if you don't have a way that you're doing, like, start doing it, right? Because this is God's word. Why would we do this? Matthew 4, 4. Because Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Church, would you pray with me, please? Holy Spirit, I could uh, talk until I'm blue in the face, and the words that I say would um, not be the words that convince people to engage with your word. Lord, Holy Spirit, you do that work. And so I pray for those who are listening, those who have maybe uh, been far from you or maybe not considered engaging with you. uh, Lord, I pray even for those of us who are here on a consistent basis and show up to church, but we struggle to be consistent in the word. Lord, for for those among us who um, have longed to develop a pattern but have just not been able to do it. Lord, I pray that you would give us just the awareness of the importance of Scripture, but not only that, that you would do a work in our hearts to enjoy hearing from you and drinking from your word like it is life to our bones. So Holy Spirit, would you change our hearts in this regard? And would you actually enable us to just do the habit and do the habit even when it's hard? And as we do the habit, would you show up for us in those moments with you? so that our hearts might be more and more convinced of who you are, and so that we might be equipped for the work of ministry and for every good work, so that, we, uh, so that we might not be tossed to and fro by waves of doctrine and human cunning. Lord, we trust you for these things, and we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.